You're listening to The Agile CTO, a podcast geared toward technology professionals, disruptors, and thought leaders. This show will aim to cover industry trends, new technologies, the life of a CTO, building dev culture, stories from some of today's leading CTOs, and so much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome back, everyone, to the Agile CTO podcast. Before we we dive into today's episode, I just want to thank you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to to listen to this. We're a good you know, 13, 14 episodes in at this point, and we see steady growth on our numbers, and we see re- recurring listeners, so thank you. Uh, something that we're doing is resonating with you guys, and we really appreciate you guys coming back and listening to us. But to get into today's podcast, we spoke to Peter, and Peter is in his retirement years basically and he has a a storied career in agile so you can imagine how terrified i was as someone who's only been doing agile for maybe the past five years speaking to someone who was literally one of the not the founding fathers but kind of the the disciples the prophets of agile guy i know that peter trained you and we kind of spoke about that and put in the podcast but do you want to maybe give some more information about peter yeah you're absolutely right so peter Handemark, my scrum coach taught me what i know about agile and i've gone and bastardized that within our organization so like that that's great but it's it was so great to chat with him i mean as you said he's got a storied career he's an trained well, he's a qualified civil engineer. He's been a developer. He's been a product manager. He's been project managers. He's been in all the rungs of the software industry, right? And it landed on being a scrum coach, you know, towards the end of his career, I want to say about 15 years ago. So it was great to speak to him. And just, just out of interest, he's the first certified scrum coach and trainer on earth, or one of the first, right? So that's really great to have him on, on, on the show. So let's jump right into it. So I must admit that I'm very nervous for this particular recording because we are called the Agile CTO Podcast. And today we have a veteran in Agile uh, teaching and mentoring, Mr. Peter Hundemark. Peter, how are you doing today? I'm great. Thanks, Holly. How are you? I'm doing I'm doing well. And uh, we can't forget about Guy. Guy? I'm well. I'm well. It's uh, it's nearly Friday. I managed to, to make it halfway through this week and just a little stretch to go. So the, the end is in sight. Yeah. Welcome, Peter. Good to have you. Thank you. Well, Peter, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, your role, just so if all the listeners, just to, you know, play open cards. Peter's Peter was my agile coach, probably going on 800 years ago now, something like that. <laughs> but Peter, you taught me, you may not even remember this, but you taught me everything I know about agile and scrum and the processes therein and all of the bits and pieces. And it was a fantastic experience of mine that I often think back on. Welcome to the show. Thanks. Thanks, Kai. Yeah, I hope... What you know about Agile is not only what I've taught you, because probably lots of that is is wrong. And I hope you've learned lots of stuff since then, which I'm sure you I'm sure you have. With, uh, wipe sweat off brow awkwardly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think for the last 15 years, plus or minus, I've been an Agile coach and and trainer. Most of that time working for myself with my team. I founded a small consultancy, Scrum Sense, in 2007 and some years later in 2014 I think we merged with Agile 42 which is a boutique global agile consultancy so we're still small kind of 50-ish people and I think you know we like to keep it focused on doing what we do as well as we can brilliant and peter you you mentioned 15 years ago so I just like to go back to the start of that is that it's 
what made you want to start your own agile kind of teaching company, training other, other companies and other individuals how to be better at agile? What sparked that for you? Okay. So, I mean, I have to go back before then. Around 1999, I think it was, I hired a very smart young guy who actually is still a friend of mine. And we started exploring together what we called iterative and incremental software development ways of doing software development. But we took a lot of dead ends and made a lot of U-turns. And it was really only in about 2005 that we, I read a book by Craig Larman and I came across these things called Scrum and XP and so on. And I thought, wow, this is what I've been looking for. This is, this is the answer to how we should be managing projects. It was like the, if you know the, the Edward Bear story, Christopher Robin is dragging Edward Bear down the, down the steps and, Ed, and the thought bubble coming out of Edward Bear's head is the bump, 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 there must be a better way. And that's, that's what I'd been grappling with for, for years. And we tried horrible things like the Rational Unified Process. You're probably far too young to even know about it. No ways. Uh, way <laughs> over my head, that one. Okay. And anyway, they were all horrible and so, you know, we tried this thing. My, my, my boss, who was the technical director and one of the owners of the company, we tried this thing. I was the first scrum master. He was the first product owner. And within six weeks, the team was absolutely flying. And we said, this is amazing. And then with his influence, we took it through the whole company, which was about 250 people, about 100 developers. And the results were astonishing. And then one day, about 18 months later, I sat down with the CEO and I said, what am I going to do now? I've kind of run out of canvas because, you know, all the teams are doing this thing reasonably well. And long story short, I decided I needed to leave and find another canvas to, to paint on and became an agile coach, kind of little knowing where that would take me, but it just felt like a like a calling. Well, you know, it's a it's a it's a very very big industry at the moment. I mean, scrum masters and agile coaches they are they are uh, incredibly sought out individuals from from the market perspective at the moment. So it wasn't a bad idea to do that, of course. And uh, what were you what were you in your previous life, Peter, at that company? Were you a software developer or were you more on the, the sort of management side? Yeah, project management side. You know, I've been everything. I, I originally studied civil engineering. I got into software after about only two years and did everything. I've written programs in Assembler, Fortran, COBOL, all the old traditional languages. I've done operating systems tuning. I've done team leadership. I've done sales. I've done marketing. I've done general management. I'm a classic jack of all trades and master of none. And I used to think there was a weakness and eventually I felt that it was useful because I've kind of walked the proverbial mile in everybody's shoes. And so I can have empathy for, for all these different roles. That's, that's a great answer. I love that the, the jack of all trades, master of none, but you embraced it. I think that's something that a lot of us can learn from because in the software development world, you know, not a lot of people always get to specialize in exactly what they want. Um, you kind of have to, you know, the myth of the full stack developer. What was your, your mindset going into that, embracing the fact that you're kind of needing to be all over the place? And, you know, my people, some people might be yearning for what they don't have. You kind of just went, well, this, I have this opportunity to be spread across and I'm going to embrace it. Mm, 
I don't think it was that conscious. Oh, you know, okay. I think the the beauty of comp the beauty of complexity is retrospective coherence. So everything looks sensible when you look at it in the rearview mirror. But going forward, stuff just happens, and you pick a path, and you don't always know why. Yeah, absolutely. And what was the landscape like? Uh, what do you say? Fifteen years ago, around Scrum Masters, was it a was it a role that existed in other companies, or was this something that you guys had like picked up on from global trends and trying and try to you know import that mindset here? Were you part of the pioneering group, so to speak? Yeah, I mean that was quite fascinating because we started doing this thing, and a colleague uh, Mike and I were the first two Scrum Masters after hacking around for about six months and teaching people from the only resource that was available was Mike Cohn's website, um, to us anyway, we decided that we needed to get some professional help. So we contacted some uh, trainers and the one person who was willing to come to South Africa and give us training was, was a man by the name of Boris Gloger, who was my scrum trainer and coach. And he came to South Africa in 2006 and we, along with, I think, 16 of us went to a training course, three from my company and a number from other companies, people we, people we didn't know yet at that time. And in two days, we discovered that we had no cooking clue about what we were doing and everything was wrong. And we now had some idea of what we should be doing. So we spent the next week, we hauled him. We took him out to dinner every evening. We pumped, we, we sucked his brain dry. We fed him food and <laughs> sucked his brain dry. And to the point where he literally couldn't speak in, <laughs> anymore. And, and we went off and, you know, applied all this new learning and, 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 and our kind of learning curve, you know, steepened like that. And it was fantastic. And, yeah, one thing led to another. He became my mentor in Scrum, and you know, eventually we agreed that I should become a Scrum trainer because him coming out to South Africa even twice a year in 2007 as and eight as he did wasn't enough to satisfy the growing demand. And so, you know, between him and me and Jim Cundiff, who was the MD of the Scrum Alliance at the time, who I met in 2008 and some local people who, who were willing to help. We've, we founded the Scrum User Group in 2008. And, uh, you know, I'm happy to say that still meets on a monthly basis, Johannesburg and Cape Town still today. I mean, mm -hmm. I haven't been personally really involved other than a participant for, I don't know how long now, 10 years, but it's still going. Yeah, I've been to one or two of those, and we've got an active contingent that attends the Suxa meetups quite regularly here internally. It's a great session. So, Holly, I know I'm jumping the gun here, but I've got a sort of just a follow-up question on, would it be safe to say then that you were the first, if if not one of the first scrum coaches and trainers in the country? Yeah, I, I guess so. And, you know, the Scrum Alliance at the time was coming out with a coaching certification. The trainers had existed since about 2004, the first trainers. Boris was the first trainer in Europe. And in 2007, the Scrum Alliance, at the request of Mike Cohn, who was on the board, said, we want to create a coaching certification. And again, one of these lucky happenstances, I, I popped a mail to Pete Behrens, who was the kind of leader of this new idea and said, hey, if you have the certification, I'm interested in it. 
And he said, well, we're going to run a beta. Would you like to be part of it? And I said, sure. And so, you know, three of us, the team who put this thing together were kind of themselves the first guinea pigs. And then three external people of whom I was one went through that program. And so in 2007, we were the first, not only here, actually in the, on, on the planet, which was quite surprising. <laughs> That's incredible. So that would be the first sort of certified coach and trainer yeah. on earth. <laughs> yeah. okay, and let me, and let, me, let me hasten to say, I, along with many other people, say certification is not competence. I'm living proof of that, for sure. <laughs> so, you know, certification is useful and some people care a lot about it. In India, it's important because if you're one of a population of 1.4 billion people, how do, you just, how do you differentiate yourself? But, you know, there are many, many wonderful agile coaches and other coaches who have no certifications. And that's cool. So a question I have been dying to ask you since we first had our intro call, and maybe just give you some some context for this, is that Guy and myself are pretty uh, paranoid individuals and we question every decision we make. And when we decided to start a podcast, there were a lot of names that, that we were bouncing off each other and the team you know, that makes us, uh, us look good. And we eventually decided on the Agile CTO, but part of that was, you know, uh, do we want to hitch our wagon that far into something very specific? While we use Agile and we have for a long time and we're big advocates for it, from a branding and an implementation perspective, we were really hitching our wagon to the, the Agile methodology. And this is 2021, uh, early 2021, when Agile is very, very common and, and all over. So I'm just, how your confidence in Agile being the approach that is going to last and going to continue for decade and a half already in an industry that's so new and software development, like you said, you were coding in the, the OG languages that I've never seen in my, my life. And we, we just perceive how much software has changed since then from approaching to management and delivery to actual writing code and implementation. Just speak me through the, the confidence that you had in Agile as it being the, the I presume you perceive it as the best approach and it's still 15 years later, you, you bet on the right horse. It just seemed, it, it seemed obvious. Um, the, the, the thing, the, the way that we had managed projects and I'd been managing projects for 30 years by the time I started doing Agile or 25 years in one form or another, not only software projects. It just seemed to me that the defined way of doing projects, the so-called waterfall way of doing projects, was fine for areas where the requirements wouldn't change, where you knew the requirements up front. And I, in my experience of doing projects, had never come across such a project where all of the requirements were known up front. I mean, the truism is that the start, the day one of a project is the, is the moment when you know the least. So why would you be trying to make all of these far-reaching decisions that are just going to be wrong? And so, you know, I mean, Agile is not really new in the sense that, you know, Lean had this thinking long before Agile of, of late commitment and, you know, just in time and, and, all of these, and all of these principles. So Scrum just was a very simple, beautiful, neat pattern or, or family of patterns that expressed a way to do this that I felt I could teach people to, to do and was 
to me just you know predetermined to to get you a result because and that that sounds crazy but but because it's agile because you are only planning for the next two weeks let's say and you are reflecting and adapting your plan every two weeks and you're reflecting and adapting on your process every two weeks i'm just using two weeks as, a, as an example for a sprint length so you know you're bound to succeed if you're really open and honest about it and you and you're not just kidding yourself and of course kanban didn't exist at the time and kanban is a wonderful method with continuous flow and you know in our practice we we use scrum and kanban and and xp i mean those are i guess three main areas we draw from um but you know it, this is not about agile this is about if you like business agility which is a term that's come about since those days this is about you know i love craig larman's term for it he talks about being able to turn on a dime for a dime so being able to to adjust your course rapidly as the circumstances change and to be able to do so cheaply so i can't see you know if you if you're working according to those principles and then you add the values of valuing the humans you know human beings and their interactions over over process and and customer collaboration and and all of those things it seems to me self evident that it has it has to work so i don't think there was any genius in it yeah look uh, i think i i agree with you there in in terms of once you get it it's clear right that this is the way yeah. to go and uh, i want to add i mean the people who wrote the agile manifesto were a bunch of software developers who said you know if you read the manifesto carefully it says you know we are we are learning and we are growing and we're evolving and here are the things that we've observed to be useful so the whole thing was empirically derived and all the all the things that we've learned the evolution of kanban and you know the latest things from plas leopold flight levels which is a wonderful construct are all evolutions of this way of having agile businesses or or resilient businesses right peter i'd like to take a step back and just explore the concept of agile versus scrum versus any sort of methodology that could be placed on top of it so uh, i think a lot of the time people conflate the two right what is agile and what is scrum and what is kanban and there's a lot of confusion we find a lot in our client projects as to what do these terms mean what are the concepts right so if we if i could maybe ask you in a nutshell to to kind of help me to define for our listeners what is this concept of agile so for me i mean i'll give you my view <laughs> agile is simply adherence to the values and the principles of the agile manifesto not more or less the four values and 12 principles it's about delivering increments of software i mean it's it's written for software many people have criticized that and i think you know just replace the word software with product or service or some other word of your choice for for your industry and you've got a manifesto for agile dot 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 and scrum is a framework that implements the agile manifesto well Kanban is another one. I mean, you arguably can do work in a non-agile way with Kanban if you like. So there's a bit of, you know, if you think about a Venn diagram, maybe part of Kanban is not strictly inside of agile, but that's getting very semantic. And the whole thing for me belongs in the in the land of of lean. I mean, the stuff that we understand from from 
you know, what the Japanese have developed inside Toyota and that has, you know, since been called lean. I think agile is a subset of all of that. Again, just my opinion. Right, right. Just to recap, I'm just going to go through the the four values quickly, just for our listeners to define what agile. I'm not going to go into the 12 principles. There's a lot to unpack there. But the the four values are individuals and interactions over processes and tools. This is what agile values. Working software over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, and responding to change over following a plan. That's it. Right. So those are the values. So there's no prescription in here as to what methodologies to build on top of it, what sort of frameworks and, and scaffolding to use to achieve those four values or to support those two values. And of course, that's where Scrum was born through trying to achieve this and Kanban and XP and all of these different different methodologies. I'm assuming there may be more coming down the line that we haven't thought of yet. What in your mind makes Scrum, let me, let me, let me ask in a different way. Do you think that Scrum is the answer in all cases? Or do you think there is a world where a different process could support agile under different circumstances? Okay, so let's backtrack a little bit and then I'll I'll get to it. Firstly, the important thing about the Agile Manifesto is the statements are A over B, not only A and never B. So we still need plans. We still need contracts. We still need all of these things. It's just that we value customer collaboration more highly than contract negotiation, because if we have a wonderful contract and we can't collaborate, we're not gonna go anywhere. If we can collaborate, we probably don't need too much contracting. So it's really, it's, it's, about, it's, it's about favoring. And the manifesto says that. The second thing is, you know, you don't need agile everywhere. As I said, if, you've, if, the, if the requirements are clear upfront, waterfall is a more efficient way of doing the work. It just turns out that in my experience of doing software development projects and, and, and other projects working in organizations, and I've never seen that, that the requirements don't change. And therefore, in my experience, an agile approach is something that I use always. Do we use Scrum everywhere? Certainly not. I, I, should we? I, I, I think that there is massive overuse of Scrum. And I think the reason is that Ken was very smart in kind of writing commandments on the tablets coming down from the mountain and and spreading the gospel of, of Scrum through the certification process. I think it was a very smart move to get widespread adoption quickly. And it has side effects of people running around with a, with a certificate and doing bad things with it. So not everybody running around with a certificate is a good Scrum master. And so you know, there are, there are negative things about that. And then, you know, secondly, is Scrum the right method to choose for, for, for every instance? Absolutely not. I think in, in, when we work inside of clients, we're using a whole mix of things. Agile 42 has its own framework or what we call scaffolding that's evolved, which we call organic agility. And it's a, it's a set of of principles that you can apply or a scaffold that you can apply in your organization. And then within that, we're doing things like strategy mapping. We're doing, doing um, things uh, we, we, we teams could use Scrum or Kanban or any other method that they choose to do. We're focusing a huge amount on culture because there's a lot of challenge around that. We, we focus on how do you make decisions in, in, in an agile 
in an agile context how do you how do you measure you know maybe for ex- for example okrs are popular now how do you how do you build okrs well into an agile adoption framework so you you need to be pulling from a, a broad toolbox and the tricky thing is you know the classic thing is if you only have a hammer then everything looks like a nail and so if you've only got scrum then you're going to try and fit scrum everywhere and that's not going to be good Peter, what, what you said there, and I loved it so much, the concept of A over B instead of A instead of B. I feel like that needs to be on a T-shirt that a couple of people wear around the office just to remind everyone or you know put it on the wall. My next question is that you know, you've trained hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of, of people about, about Scrum and about uh, Agile and like you mentioned, uh, or like I mentioned that you trained him back in the day, you know, he helped uh, train me and I've trained other people. So it's a massive, massive kind of chain that, that's going on here. Through all of that, what is your most frustrating thing that you find that you constantly have to teach people or a misconception about Agile that they have when they rock up to that first kind of uh, lesson? Let me frame it a little, a, a little diff- uh, differently. We, we, uh, I want to describe to you experience we had. So we worked with, I won't name them, but we worked with one of the major banks about six years ago. And we ran a pro, an internal program called Scrum Master Academy. And what that did is it took cohorts of 16 people at a time, and we ran five of those cohorts before they they took it over and ran it internally with some wonderful coaches who were actually some of them competitors of mine at the time. So that was a great opportunity. And at the end of one of these cohorts, we, we, we did, as one would do, a retrospective on the whole program, which had been running for three months. And we said, so, you know, what was your experience to, to the participants? And every single one of them turned around and said, I thought I was coming to this program to learn about Scrum. And what I had learned about was myself. And they told stories about how they had gone and used it in their families to to kind of um, deal with some conflict situation in their families or how they were using it to manage their kids' homework by having sticky notes on a fridge or whatever, all kinds of wonderful ideas. And I think think that's the thing. It's not about a process or about a set of things that you have to do. It's about a mindset and a different way of thinking and a set of mental models that can help you in in a much broader way. Brilliant. I'd like to throw out two statements to you. They're quite contradictory, but I'd like to get your take on them. And they, they, they seem to be quite common ideas about the, the, the concept of Agile that maybe organizations have. And the first is, I love Agile. It means I can get my developers to do whatever I want, whenever I want. Have you seen this misconception or this, this feeling about Agile in your journey through other organizations? Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. I think... You know, which goes to management. The biggest problem, I think, that we have in this concept of management and trying to manage people or trying to lead people is this illusion, and Ken Schwaber talked about it in the very early days, this illusion of control. Um, I am very fortunate if I have control over myself. I certainly don't have control over anybody else. And... If I can focus actually on controlling myself, I'm probably doing quite well. And if I can focus on avoiding trying to control other people, then I'm doing, then I'm doing even better. And so 
this kind of micromanagement thing of, you know, oh, I can get people to go and do whatever. I mean, you know, that's just a, a bad excuse for, for continuing continuing that. And, you know, in, in our model of teaching leaders, I mentioned organic agility, we, 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 we have a leadership model where we kind of move through from the kind of expert who is telling people what to do through to the coach and the catalyst who is really just there to empower and help people to be their better selves, their best selves, better than they thought that they could be themselves. And so, you know, that's what we want to do. When, when people learn to do Scrum, we want them to embrace the self-organization that is one of the underpinning philosophies or, or, or principles behind Scrum is the self-organizing cross-functional team if we don't enable that and and allow that and let them turn a push system into a pull system then we miss the whole mm. point yep yep holly if i can just to follow up on another misconception i'd like to throw at peter and get his thoughts on some leaders and managers might love scrum or hate scrum because it is a mechanism for lazy developers to avoid commitment yeah you know the word commitment is very tricky and it, to the point that in the Scrum Guide, and the, you know, the first edition of the Scrum Guide actually only came out in 2008 and was not a very well-written document. It's evolved and got a lot better since then. But at some point, not that many years ago, the word commitment was removed from the, from the sprint and replaced by the word forecast. And there was a lot of gnashing of teeth amongst the Scrum aficionados of was this a good thing or, or a bad thing. But the problem is the abuse of the word commitment you know does commitment mean i'm gonna you know i'm gonna die rather than fail on my commitment or does it mean i'm gonna try really hard but if shit happens then you know i can't do it or you know i'm gonna give it my best shot uh, you know what, what do we what do we actually mean and it can be used and has been used by developers to kind of you know we want to kind of go and dance at the bottom of the garden with the fairies and not actually do real work. And that's not useful. I mean, it, it's a productivity tool. And, you know, what we should be doing is focusing on what's a problem we're trying to solve. What's a one slice of that complex problem that we think would be worth trying to solve in the next two weeks? Let's go and give it our best shot to solve that problem. And, and, and let's scope the solution if we possibly can to fit within that two-week time box so the time box is what we call an enabling constraint and then let's inspect what we've built with with everybody bring the customer into the room and then let's talk about how we work together and whether we can improve our process i mean it's it's no rocket science. It's just common sense. Peter, I must apologize. Guy and myself have been bombarding you with very specific questions that we, we definitely wrote down and thought of beforehand. It's not very often we have one of the first kind of profits of Agile in, in our presence. So I apologize for that. But I think us and our, our, our listeners as well, maybe to just get to know a little bit more about you and maybe Agile 42, if you could speak to something that you regard as a, a recent win for yourself or for Agile 42 in the past couple months or year or during the COVID period. Well, I, I mean, I think for me personally, I'm kind of at official retirement age. In fact, I passed it as we were going into, into COVID. And what I'm excited about is that I've been 
working with one of my colleagues or am working with my one of my colleagues to take over my role. So I'm going to be handing over and I'm excited that, you know, I'm, I, I met her in a training course 10 years ago and watched her grow since then. She's been a colleague of mine for the last five years and now she's going to be taking over my role and I'm going to do whatever. I know I'm going to become a grandfather next year and uh, all all kinds of things that I want to do that I haven't had time to do to do yet so I'm feeling particularly excited about that that transition and 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 delighted to see that she has the 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 energy to continue this journey yeah it's great so I I take your mentorship is important to you and the the, and growing of this individual under under your you know stewardship has has been something of a a moment of pride do you think that that's the case in all teams all engagements do you think that everybody should find a mentor because we hold this we hold this value internally right that it's just too much to know on your own right find find a mentor and find somebody five, ten years down the line away from where you want to be and, you know, suck their brain dry, as you say. Absolutely. I mean, a, a completely pivotal moment for me in my life was in 2009, I, I went to Scrum Gathering in Munich. And I was part of a panel of agile coaches who were going to inflict their expertise on a, an unsuspecting audience. And one of the people in this panel I had never met was a man by the name of Siggy Kaltenecker, who was a real coach, not an agile coach. I mean, a real trained systemic coach. And I was so blown away by what he had to say and his approach and his attitude that the next day, actually in the midst of a blinding hangover, I grabbed him and had a cup of coffee with him. And I said, we have to talk. And, you know, now where are we? 12 years later, I mean, he's a, he was a mentor of mine for formally for at least five years. He'd been a sparring partner. He's a dear family friend now. We, we visit each other. He lives in Vienna. He's been so instrumental in my learning journey. I can't begin to tell. And, you know, he, he's one of several, but he's the standout, uh, standout example. So, yes, I mean, it took me... 50 years to realize that I needed a mentor. I would encourage anybody to get a mentor now. Don't wait. Thank you for for saying that, Peter. It's good to have, yeah, I guess the flip side of it. I think people joining the industry now are hearing, you know, get a mentor and they don't necessarily understand why. But for someone like yourself to say after 50 years, you realize, no, a mentor is the way to go. I think that's, that's super great. And maybe to just reflect on that, the... The 50 years that you mentioned and as you approach your retirement, congratulations on on that, by the way. What are some standout moments, you know, over over those those decades uh, of of your professional career that you just think back of when you think of your career? Those are the points that stand out to you. You know, I think I started by being fortunate to have a, a father who had been forced to leave school himself at the age of 12 and and held education very dearly and sacrificed massively to give me a good education. And then to have an opportunity to get into the software industry, which was quite young in the the 70s. And then to have an opportunity to join a global company. I, I worked for Siemens for more than a decade and learned what it's like to be to work in a multinational company, how how they function, 
at some of the challenges of communicating across geographic boundaries, time zone boundaries, all those kinds of things. Having the opportunity to be trained in all kinds of technical things and, and management because they believed in that kind of investment. Then later on, spending a decade working in a much smaller company as a startup, having the opportunity to try Scrum. I mean, I, my employer paid me to hack around and learn Scrum. You know, what a wonderful opportunity to be paid to, to experiment. So, yeah, I've, I've had these. Uh, and, and then in more, more recent years, being part of Agile 42 and, and such a great bunch of colleagues in, in many countries, opportunities to, to co-train and to coach in many. I've done a lot of coaching in Brazil. I absolutely love the country. Wow. Done a, a few gigs in, in, in Europe, quite a lot of training courses. So, yeah, I've, I've been super fortunate. Right. So... Peter, if you get stuck in the elevator with uh, Elon Musk and you find out that Elon Musk's not doing Agile or following any of the Agile values and they're not doing Scrum and he says to you, Peter, we've got three floors. Tell me what I should do tomorrow to start this journey. What do you tell him? I'd, I'd probably be dumbstruck <laughs> being with Elon in an, in, in an elevator. I mean, I do have tremendous admiration for his ability to to kind of see and hone in on 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 problems and be kind of fearless about pursuing solutions i may not agree that it's important to go and colonize mars but hell you can't you can't take away from his vision i think you know i i go back one of my people that i look up to he's no longer alive but i was fortunate to to attend a training course of his and i've read several of his books he wrote more than 100 books is is jerry weinberg and he's got a couple of laws of, of consulting. And the first law of consulting is no matter what the client tells you, there is always a problem. And the second law of consulting, according to Jerry Weinberg, is that no matter what the client tells you, the problem is always a people problem. So there are only people problems. There are no such things other than people problems. So in other words, the interaction between people and if you if you look at you know what, one of the the pioneers of thinking of of complex systems is uh, Russell Aikoff and and he says the, a a system is not the product of its the sum of its parts but the product of its interactions so it's the interactions between the humans in organizations that are important and that's what we've got to facilitate so scrum if we use it is just an enabler for that kanban if we use it is it an enabler of that flight levels if we use it is an enabler for that it's just about how can we talk to each other in ways that are kind and and productive peter this this next question i feel is you're the most apt person we've ever asked us to and the question is what is your thing and so maybe to, to preface it, with you going into retirement and maybe taking a more passive role in Agile 42, we generally ask this to people outside of work. What do you do to pass the time? What is your, your hobby? So for you, how are you going to pass the time once you, do, once you do retire and you have you know, all this extra hours every day? I'm sure you'll still be you know, very uh, involved and, and maybe doing talks and training here and there. But what's, yeah, what is going to be the, the, the passion that you're going to take up? 
Well, I, I did have a kind of a trial iteration at the start of uh, start of COVID because business a lot of business dried up. I think we all did at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I, I so I did spend some time doing woodwork, which is something I enjoy. I do adventure biking. I've just actually come uh, come home from a trip on Sunday with a mate of mine. We drove from Joburg to Cape Town via Hrabi's Falls and the Richtersfeld and down the west coast. So we love to get off the main roads onto the dirt and just see nature and in a month's time less than a month's time two weeks time i've got a wonderful road trip ahead with my family my 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 wife and my daughter and her husband to kruger and the drakensberg so you know getting out into our beautiful country spending time is something that i want to do more of i've been uh, threatening to do more writing I never get enough time for doing the reading I, I want to do. So I don't anticipate being bored. <laughs> Brilliant. And I think that's a great segue into the last section of our conversation. And we call this our quick fire round. Typically, we, um, we ask a couple of questions for our audience to get to know you a little bit better as, a, as an individual. What is, you, I know you've said you, you haven't had much time to be uh, reading at the moment, but of that that you have done, what is your latest must read or must watch or must listen for anybody out there that might be interested in in what you find to be your passion. Well, I'm going to start with a plug for your podcast. I, I must say, <laughs> I've I've been absolutely fascinated by the content from some of your interviewees because these are people from a world that I don't know at all, and I I find it fascinating so uh, you know if i generalize that i would encourage people to go and explore worlds outside the one that they know you learn so much more so well done kudos for that brilliant thank you yeah we're just as just just by the way we're just as dumbstruck during those interviews as the listeners may be listening to it so <laughs> yeah, it, yeah it never becomes normal yeah. yeah so in terms of books my elder daughter who lives in amsterdam gave me a wonderful book uh, when she was last here in December, called Humankind by Rutger Bregman. And it's kind of, it, it's kind of the history of humans, in, in a sense, uh, or the and psychology, as well as a play on, on kind, because it's about we need to be kind. So I think it's a wonderful book, and uh, it's sitting on my desk waiting to be reread, because it's one of those. Amazing. The book I'm reading right now is is Plato's Republic. I'm reading the Alan so, Bloom reading. translation. Yes, absolutely. It's it's taking me a long time, and I find it fascinating. I mean, you know, it's these dialogues of of Socrates, and yeah, it's fascinating stuff. I, I you know, if I were to have my study time over, I think I would opt for studying philosophy. I think it's I think it's just fascinating. Interesting. Wow. Amazing. You've mentioned a couple of people already, but I still think it's worth asking. Peter, who is the most professionally influential person in your career right now and why? So I'm probably not only going to pick one. I'm, I'm going to pick Donny Rue. He's been a friend and a colleague and a person in the agile space that I've known for several, a number of years now. And he recently helped me and my team to navigate a very tricky situation. We've, he has a, a, a blog um, Donnie Roo, and he has a he he puts out a Donnie's Daily kind of a couple of pearls of wisdom every day. So I think he's an inspiring person to listen to. 
and to interact with. Great. Another person, I want to add another one, my former business partner from 10 years ago nearly and my perennial learning partner, Marius De Beer in, in Vancouver. And Siggy, I've already mentioned, my mentor. Brilliant. Thank you, Peter. And the next one, I always, I always struggle to, to phrase this question in a way that it makes sense. But I think the essence I'm trying to get at is other people have opinions about us. And I would like to know in your world, what, are those, what opinion that others have do you find most frustrating? And it's specifically an opinion about you that they have. So I don't know whether I'm going to get this right, but the thing that I see over and over in organizations that frustrates me is that people say, you know, we need to hire better people. Our people are useless. Our people are unskilled. Our people are whatever we need to hire. You know, let's pick scrum masters as as a particular example. We need to hire good scrum masters. Our people are useless, so we don't have anybody who, who could become. And my response to that is stop looking outside your organization and look inside your organization and grow people that you've got there. There are people who have the desire and have the capability of, of doing it. A, a friend of mine talks about, you know, attitude, asp, uh, aptitude and aspiration. If you've got those things, you can, you can get the skills. And so, you know, one of the things I'm known for in the Scrum community is saying to people, grow a pair. Mm. And what I mean by that is rather than going and hiring Scrum Masters, take a couple of people in your organization and grow them to be good good scrum masters and actually i wrote it i, I wrote I an like article that. about it which is on the agile 42 website if you want to look for it yeah we'll do fantastic uh, play on words there peter well done <laughs> all right then let's go on to let's go on to the last question what are you currently procrastinating over so writing i uh, would like to do more i mean i i in 2009 i sat down, I won't tell you the whole story, but I sat down and wrote a tiny little document was 26 pages, I think, called Do Better Scrum, the first version. And then in 2015, I needed to update it because changes had been made to the, to the Scrum Guide and I needed to align it. And I used the opportunity to expand it and it became about 80 pages. I'm still not sure that, this, that the 80 page version is better than the original one, which was more succinct. But the truth is I've done precious little writing since then, since 2015. And I think that's something that I would like to do and that I'm procrastinating over big time. Cool. And then Holly, just before we say goodbye here, I would like to just throw, while I've got you, Peter, I'd love to pick your brain on one more one more concept that I read about or listened to the other day by one of the founders of the, um, the Agile Manifesto, Robert C. Martin, who's also a prolific software developer and an influential person in the sphere to this day, continues to be and will be. He mentioned on his talk about Scrum and Agile, specifically Agile. He said that Agile is, is simply there for us to, to measure how fast we are going and not to go faster, but simply to measure how fast we are going. Or uh, the method, the methods we use to support that. Would you agree with his statement? And it might be, it might be tricky to to disagree with one of the founders of the the, the manifesto. But I found that particularly interesting. Mm. I think one of the unfortunate things of Scrum is, you know, the the use even even though it's not really part of there are a whole lot of things that are 
quoted as part of Scrum that are not part of Scrum, but this concept of this notion of velocity, if that's the only metric we've got, then we're going to chase it and we want the number to go up. And of course, when you ask for something, you know, it's, it's the old Eli Goldratt thing. Tell me what you, what, how you'll measure me and, and, and I'll tell you how I'll behave. And so when you say to teams, we want a higher velocity, you'll get a higher velocity. And how will that happen is they'll just inflate the number that they give for, for a story, for, for, for an item. And that's not helping anybody. That's just reducing transparency. So what we really wanted, what, what is really useful is if we can know what our capacity is, what the capacity of our team or our set of teams, our system is, that can be really useful in forecasting what we can deliver to our customers. And then, you know, the other element of that is it's not actually about how fast we can produce stuff. It's, a, it's about how we can, how well we can add value for our customers. So, you know, that's where we really need to progress. And that's where, you know, if we're smart, we could use OKRs or, or some other set of measures to, to really focus on what's actually important to the customer. What do they care about? Brilliant. Well, thank you, Peter. That brings us to the end of our show today. And, you know, I wish I had another two hours to continue this discussion. Um, Holly, I don't know about you, but I think we could fill another two pretty easily with some of the things that are floating around in my head, just in terms of how we can improve ourselves as a business, the, the things that we adopt, the, we, we adopt um, Agile as a business. So everything that we do follows an iterative approach and we measure and we, we retrospect and we strategize and we plan and we follow the, the motions that Scrum is you know, prescribing on a team level, but we try and adopt those things as much as we can on an organizational level. So the things that I've gained from Scrum and from Agile have been you know, incredibly valuable in, in terms of my professional life and i just want to thank you very much for being a part of that and being a part of this show thank you so much peter thanks guy thanks holly at hayfully software we build dev teams that deliver and fix those that don't dev teams fail to deliver all the time for countless reasons from lack of skills to barriers and culture from politics to process from silos to egos Whatever the reason, it's time they deliver. This is why we exist. From enterprise to startups, we craft high-performance dev teams focused on end-to-end -end delivery. Visit Hayfully Software at OutsourceHS.com to learn more. You've been listening to the Agile CTO. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.